Amen. Oh, Lord, how marvelous, how wonderful, and how glorious you are. You're marvelous in so many ways. You're wonderful in even more ways. And you're glorious because you are God and there is no other. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you tonight that we have a marvelous, wonderful, glorious Savior. Lord, tonight we give ourselves over to you. We give the word over to you. We give the teacher over to you for your glory, Lord. Everything that goes on here, Freedom Church, Lord, may it be for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 For those of you that just tuned in, I know other things come in, podcasts and all that right around now. So you're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here. You can go to our website, freedomchurchpb.org, and check us out. It's all about Jesus here. It's all about Jesus. And um, you can find out what you want to know about us. You can tune into years' worth of messages going back if you want to. You can donate online. You can do all kind of stuff. So the Lord has provided there. So um, you're welcome. You're welcome to stop by, you know, online, freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org. You can, you can uh, tune in to us every Thursday at 7.15, every, every Sunday at 10 a.m., Okay, um, we're, we're glad you're here. So listen, when we, we sang the second song, I quoted a lot of the first song, the last song, how marvelous, how wonderful, how glorious you are. But the second song was about, you know, I'm not going anywhere without you. And it made me think of Exodus when God was so upset with Israel because they were complaining and, and all, kind of, all kind of things going on. God says to Moses, he says, you go there, and I'm going to stay here. I'm just not going with you. And God said, and Moses said, listen, Lord, if you don't go, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you know? So, man, it's just, you know, my, my puppy dog taught me that. I have a puppy dog. You know, she's 12 years old. She's really not a puppy, but she's little. But listen, when I open up the door to take her out to go potty, she'll stand beside me. Even if the door's open, she'll stand right beside me, and she won't move until I step outside. And that's the way God wants us Christians to be. You know, don't move without God. You know, even a puppy dog knows that. Man, so I hope us Christians can get that. I hope I can get it. So anyway, praise the Lord. Um, listen, we had told you we have a special speaker tonight. And uh, Matt, come on up. Come on up if you would. Matt's going to be teaching tonight. Um, Matt and I have been, uh, he's taught here before, a couple years ago, before we went to a missions trip. He's taught in Brazil. We were on a missions team together, and uh, you're going to like, you're going to like Matt. You know, this is Matt Felder, Feldner is his name. He's one of the leaders here, so um, just uh, give him your, your hand or whatever you want to do, and praise the Lord. <laughs> We made this in prayer last night and, this, and tonight, so, you know, Matt's ready to go. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Joe. Everyone can hear me okay? Amen. Well, I just want to thank you guys for um, just opening up the, the pulpit to me. It's really an honor to me. Um, 
that you would trust me with the word of God and you know you would open up your hearts to listen to to what I have to say and um, I'm going to pray in a second here but I really my prayer any time that I, I preach or, or give the word of God is that these actually wouldn't be my words they would just be God's word and and I always try to aim to to not I don't want to add anything fancy you know or impress anybody or make up all these ideas that that sound good I just want you guys to know the word of God and to understand the word of God better and know how to apply it to your life so that you can know God better and so that you can be closer to him and so that he can be the Lord of your life. So um, I just thank you again today for uh, allowing me to do this and for listening. And uh, let me just go ahead and, and pray over this message and then I'll get started. Father, I thank you tonight because, as the song said, you are amazing. And God, as I've just been going over this this great passage in 1 John about your love, and I see how awesome your love is. I see how all-encompassing your love for us is, God. And every everyone, God, the, the high, the low, the rich, the poor, whoever we are, the sinners, the saints, God, you love us all. And who are we, God? Who are we that you should care for us, God? What is man that you are mindful of him? And that such an amazing God would would even bother with us, God, especially uh, as we are sometimes just so unfaithful, God. So I just thank you for your great mercy that's on us. I thank you that your hand is on us. I thank you that your presence is here tonight. And I just pray over the, the word of God, your word, God, as we open up the Bible and as we talk about uh, these, this passage here, God, I pray that uh, you would just open up our hearts to receive from you. You would open up our eyes to be able to see wonderful things from your word. You would open up our ears to be able to hear your voice, God, and that your glory would just be shown in us and, and through us and through your word tonight in this place, God. We are only a few here, God, but you said where two or three are gathered, you're there in the midst of, the, of them, God. So I thank you that you are here, God. And again, let your word be heard tonight. Let it not be my words, but let it be your words that go forth. As an old preacher once said, hide me behind the cross. And I know the cross is behind me here, God, but I pray that you would hide me behind your cross so that anybody listening, anybody watching online would not see me tonight or Pastor Joe or Liz or anyone else, God, but they would see you, Jesus. We lift up your name. We thank you for this night. Just let this message and the rest of our time here be according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, if you guys have your Bibles, I want to just ask you to open up to the book of 1 John chapter 4. The title of this message is Reasons for Brotherly Love, part one, because I'm going to continue this on Sunday. Um, and the subject, really the subject of this passage and the subject of this message is love. And specifically tonight I want to talk about the love of God and the love that we as Christians should have for one another based on God's own love. So as you're opening up to the book of First John, um, while you're turning there, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the context of this passage 
and the background really of the whole book so that you can just get a, a better feel for what's going on here and, and what's being said here so we can understand this passage better. So the first thing I want to tell you is that if you don't know already, the book of 1 John is a letter. But there's something a little unique about this letter. Uh, it's a little different than a typical letter of its time and also a letter we would write today. And what's different about it is that it doesn't actually have the normal salutations and introductory remarks that you would find in a normal letter. Like, for example, it doesn't say, uh, you know, Dear John, this is Paul writing you, um, writing to, or, you know, this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, greetings, um, th I thank God for you, I pray for you, and all, all these kind of introductory things are missing from this book. So I mention that just to say that because of that, the book itself, it doesn't tell us exactly who wrote it or who it was written to. But we do have good evidence that this book was written by the Apostle John, whom, as you probably know, was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And I really see him as, as Jesus' probably his best friend, or at least one of his closest friends uh, during his time here on earth. So you know when you read the book of 1 John that since it was written by the Apostle John, that you're hearing about the real Jesus. You're hearing from someone who really knew Jesus, who walked with him, who talked with him, who spent at least three years of his life closely with Jesus. So uh, this was written by the Apostle John, and uh, we don't know exactly who the letter was written to or, or where it was sent exactly, but we can know some really important things about who it was written to from some clues within the letter itself. First thing we can know that's really important is we can know that this letter was written to a group of Christians. Now, this may have been one church. This may have been multiple churches in, in a specific area. Uh, I think it was probably written to a group of house churches, as most churches met in homes in that time. We don't know specifically, but what we do know, and this is really important to keep in mind as we go through the letter, is that this letter was just written to a specific community or specific group of Christians. And we can also know some important things about the situation that was going on in these churches when the letter was written. And we can see kind of why John writes. The most important thing we, we really can notice in this letter is that this letter was written to a community of Christians that had just gone through a crisis. And this crisis kind of sets the background for the entire letter. Now, we don't know, again, exactly what was going on, but apparently there had been some false teaching and some false ideas about Jesus, which had come about, which had risen up within this group of believers. And we could go really deep into, you know, what this, this false teaching was and what it was about, where it came from, and that could lead into things like Greek philosophy and Gnosticism and, and all of that. And when you're we're doing a, if we were doing a deep book study or if I was you know, writing a commentary or, or something like that, I would go into all that. But we, for the purpose of this sermon, we don't, we don't need to go too deep into that. I basically just want you to know that this false teaching said that Jesus was not the Messiah, that he was not the Son of God, and that he did not have a true human nature or 
as John puts it, he did not come in the flesh. That's what the false teachers were saying. Now, I want to take a second just to, to make a comment on this. Now, there are many doctrines that Christians disagree about. There's many different ways of interpreting different scriptures. There's different views, different theological opinions. There's different applications of scripture that could apply in different ways to different situations. And many times, um, Christians agree to disagree. And that's okay, and that's good when it comes... There's many doctrines that we need to agree to disagree about. And we can still have unity with each other. We can still have fellowship. We can still have love for one another. However, there's some things that, some doctrines, and some, um, some ideas and some things in the Christian faith that if we get them wrong, we've just missed the whole point of Christianity. We've missed the faith. And one of those things is Jesus and who Jesus is. And it, it's so important. We cannot get Jesus wrong. Let me, let me show you why. Okay, Anybody here who wants to worship a false Jesus, raise your hand. Okay, I don't see anybody raising their hand. Anybody online, I can't see you. I hope you're not raising your hand. Is there anyone here who wants to give their life to follow a Jesus that didn't exist? Raise your hand. Nobody, right? I don't. Why would we want to do that, you know? So what these, these people within this congregation were, in this group of Christians, were bringing a false Jesus, a Jesus that didn't exist, and John knows this well because he, know, he knew Jesus intimately. And so we cannot afford to get Jesus wrong. And by the time John writes, it, it seems actually, if you, if you read in the letter, he talks about, a group of people within this community of Christians that had actually already left the fellowship and left the faith in order to follow this other teaching about Jesus. And I think that really disturbed this, this church or group of churches. I don't know if any of you have ever been involved in anything like that, in serious doctrinal disagreements, and dealing with any kind of serious false teaching, or if you've ever been involved in a church split or something like that, I can tell you, in my experience, it's not a pleasant thing. It's not something that you want to go through. Sometimes, unfortunately, it happens. Sometimes it's necessary. Um, but it is not fun, and it causes a lot of tension. It causes confusion. It can damage, even destroy relationships. And ultimately, it can rob a church of its joy. It's truly a work of the enemy. And I would imagine that the crisis which this group of believers just went through would be very similar. They're probably confused, upset, hurt, uh, joyless. Maybe some of these people who had left the church were their close friends. Maybe they were even discipled by some of these people. And it, it just leaves them just joyless, I think. So John writes into this situation in order to reassure and to strengthen these believers who have just gone through this crisis. And he wants to restore their joy. He actually says that in chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I write this, that your joy may be made complete. So in order to accomplish this, what John does is he actually gives them three main tests. And these tests can become tools that actually help the believers to, number one, distinguish between true and false teachers, true and false teachings, and these tests also help them to have assurance 
that they themselves, when they apply these tests to themselves, if they pass these tests, they can be reassured that they have the truth and that they know and belong to God truly. As they may have been thinking, um, you know, these people, I thought they had the truth and, and they left and John's saying they're false and they have another Jesus. And well, what about, well, how do I know that I'm right? How do I know that I'm following the real Jesus? How do I know that I truly know God? And so they can apply these tests to themselves to find assurance that they are saved and that they are born again. Three tests have to do with this. Number one, right doctrine. Do I have the right beliefs, specifically about who Jesus is? Number two, righteous living. Am I living in a way that pleases God? And number three, love. And that's what, that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is love, because our passage has to do with that third test. So all that said, I want to now read from the book of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So again, the, the main point, the main theme of this passage is love. And John starts out by saying this, Beloved, let us love one another. And I would say, that command, that exhortation to love one another is really the main point of this whole passage. And uh, I know it's very simple, but maybe I'm going to get into something deeper and lose you, and, and maybe you're not going to get anything else out of this message. But if you get anything from this message, get this. Christians are to love one another. God wants us to love each other. But John goes a little further. He doesn't just uh, tell Christians to be loving. He doesn't just say, let's love one another. But he actually is going to give us, he gives us in this passage, several reasons why Christians should love one another. And so that's what we're going to, I'm going to go through a few of those tonight. The first and most foundational reason is this. Number one, Christians should love each other because God is love. Because our God is love. He says, behold, I'm sorry, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Have you guys ever thought about that, where love came from? I never actually thought about that until I was, until I was reading that. But love is not something that we came up with. It's not something that was invented. It actually came from God. And we see here that God is the source of love. And that love flows out from him. And this is because love is actually God's nature. It's a part of who he is. And this is what John points out in verse 8 when he says, God is love. And we see God's love all over the Bible, all over the scriptures. Even 
going back to the very beginning when God created us, he, it says that God created human beings in his own image. And he gave us the earth to rule over, to take care of, to enjoy. He created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And I, I think this, uh, there's a passage in Genesis um, chapter 2 where it talks of the beautiful garden uh, that God made for Adam and Eve to live in. It says it had all, has all kinds of beautiful trees, all kinds of good food growing on them for them to eat, a beautiful river running through this garden. And I see this as like such a, such a tender act of God, such a loving act of God. It's not that he just created the earth and, and said, here, let me make some humans. Here you go, you know, figure it out. It's like he made a home for them, and he made it beautiful. He made it enjoyable. And, and the Bible says that he actually came and he walked with them in that garden, and he hung out with them, and he spent time talking with them and, and just being with them and enjoying the garden with them. And, and I just see that the love of God in that. And even later when we see the first man and woman disobeyed God and fell into, uh, fell into sin and ran away from God, we, we see that God didn't just destroy them and say, well, you guys, you guys blew it. Okay, see you later, starting over. No, he didn't give up on us. He didn't give up on them. He didn't give up on the whole human race. Instead, God actually decided to redeem us. And, and as he began working out this plan to redeem us, he chose to set his love on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom we've been studying uh, on Thursday nights as we're going through the book of Genesis. The Bible says that Abraham was called a friend of God. Isaac was called the son of God's promise. The Bible says directly that God loved Jacob. And he loved all of Jacob's descendants who grew and became the nation of Israel. The Bible says that God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt because he loved them. Deuteronomy 7, 8 says it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery and from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And after he delivered the Israelites from their slavery because of his love, he revealed himself to Moses as saying this, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That's Exodus 34, 6-7. And after this, God gave Israel the promised land and he blessed them in it. And, and even when they were unfaithful to God, which was actually quite often, God continued to faithfully love them and forgive them and continue to uh, be patient with them and to restore them. And God even speaks through the prophet Jeremiah saying to Israel, and, and actually one of the worst times of, for Israel, and they were going after other gods and, and really being unfaithful. He says through the prophet Jeremiah to Israel, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God's love is so faithful. And we see that especially all, all over the Old Testament. And we see in the Old Testament a really heavy focus of God's, on God's love for the nation of Israel, although not exclusively we see him loving people outside the nation of Israel. We see that he loved the world, although the focus is, is a lot on the nation of Israel. But once we get to the New Testament, we see this, this shift in focus from just the nation of Israel to a focus on God's love for the whole world. 
You all know this scripture, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Why did God send Jesus into the world to die for our sins and to redeem us? Because of his love, because he loves the world. Romans 5.8 tells us this, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He even loves sinners. That's good news for me because I'm a sinner. And this, this sending of the Son, the loving act of the giving of the Son to be the Savior of the world, we see is, is really, I think, is the highest display of God's love for the world that we see in the New Testament. And we're going to get deeper into that on Sunday. So I'm going I'm to save that. But God's love actually goes even deeper than this. Because, as I, I think I mentioned before, it's not only that God is loving in the sense that God does loving things or God feels love or that he shows love, right? The passage here that we just read, John says God is love. It is his nature to, to love. Love is part of who he is. And we see this because God loved even before the creation of the world. For all eternity, God has always been love. And this is revealed through Jesus' prayer to God the Father in John 17, verse 24. When Jesus is praying to the Father, he says, You loved me before the foundation of the world. So before anything else existed, God the Father and God the Son were in a loving father-son type relationship with one another for all eternity. I just recently read a book called Delighting in the Trinity, and uh, it's, it was a really good book because it's, it's very theological and, and it, it takes on the doctrine of the Trinity, um, but it's also very, it's very warm, it's very relational. It really, I felt like it really drew me closer to God, and sometimes when we talk about the Trinity and theology, it can be a little bit, a little bit philosophical, a little bit cold, I hate to say it, um, but it focused on this loving relationship that is actually between God the Father, Son, and God the Spirit. Michael Reeves, the author, uh, makes this point, he puts it like this, before God ever created, before he ever ruled the world, before anything else, this God was a father loving his son. So there was never a time when God did not love. So we see God the Father loves God the Son and God the Spirit. He loves the nation of Israel. He loves the whole world, every tribe, tongue, and nation. He loves those who love him and keep his commandments, and he loves those who don't love him and says he loves his, his enemies, those who don't keep his commandments and rebel against him. He loves those who are high in society, those who are low, the rich, the poor. God loves everyone in every situation because God is love. And everyone listening to me today here and online, I want you to know that today. Know that wherever you are, know that whoever you are, God loves you. And if you've already placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you've already received God's love through that, sometimes I know myself, I, 
I kind of forget that God loves me. Or I, I know that God loves me, but I don't feel God's love. I want you to be reassured today that God loves you, that God's love rests on you. His love is working in you and in your life, and his love will never leave you. And if you're someone who has not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today you feel you're a sinner, how could God possibly love me? Then know that God's love for you is what is, is, is calling out to you and beckoning you to come to him. God wants you to come to him and, and believe on Jesus Christ so that you can receive his love, so that he can give you his love, and you can receive forgiveness for your sins, and you can come into this loving relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And now I know that was just a, a brief survey of God's love through the Bible. I, I wish I could go deeper into each one of these passages and bring on more, but I want you to get a sense for God's Love. And this is the foundational reason why Christians are to be loving toward one another. Because our God is love. But there's something else to this. There's, there, there's something a little, a little deeper that this passage is getting at. It's not just that Christians should be loving, although we should be. And what I mean, is, what I mean by that is, it's not just that, okay, I'm a Christian, God, my God is love. So let me try really, really hard to just be a loving person. We should try hard to be a loving person. We should put effort. We should think about ways. How can I love my neighbors better? How can I love my brother, my sister better? But there's something, there's something a, a little deeper to being a Christian. Although Christians should be loving, it's also true that love is actually the natural result or the fruit itself of being a Christian. And this is the second reason John gives us as to why Christians should love one another. Christians should love one another because love is the natural result or the natural outflow of being born of God. So let me try to explain this to you. I need to first explain the term born of God so you can, that can help you to understand this point in case you don't know what that means. We see in the Bible, uh, Jesus said in John 3, that you must be born again. Paul talks about becoming a new creation. Uh, this term born of God also appears in the Bible. Regeneration is another term, but basically born of God, born again, uh, born of the Spirit, regeneration, and um, I forgot the other one I said already, new creation. Uh, these are all kind of getting at the same thing. Let me try to uh, just explain what this is. So Romans 6.23 says that, the wages of sin is death. And this refers both to physical and spiritual death. Simply put, because of sin, we are born spiritually dead. Which means, and or coming going along with that, we ha are born with a tendency to love sin and to reject God and the things of God. By nature, we really don't desire the things of God. We have a tendency to do things that are contrary to what God wants. We have a tendency to go away from from God and towards sin. But when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God not only forgives us of our sin, but he actually changes us from the inside and he gives us new spiritual life. And, and this change is a change, of, um, is, is a change of many things, but one of the things that, that change when we are born again 
is our desires and our orientation. Instead of having this tendency and love for sin, God changes us to love Him and to desire the things of God. And because of that change, we as Christians by nature start to reflect God's own nature and character because He makes us, not, though not perfectly or not totally, He makes us like Himself. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians kind of puts it this way. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. You don't have to turn there. But he says, And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all previously lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the rest but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our wrongdoings made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved he also says in 2nd Corinthians five seventeen that if anyone is in Christ this person is a new creation the old things have passed away behold new things have come so God makes us totally new the theologian Louis Burkhoff puts it this way I hope this will help regeneration consists in the implanting of the principle of new spiritual life in man and a radical change of the governing disposition of the soul which under the influence of the Holy Spirit gives birth to a life that moves in a Godward direction I want to give you an illustration that I, I hope will bring this home in case you that's not totally clear. Um, but let me just give you this illustration. As you all know, I, I lead worship here sometimes. I sing. I play guitar. And I don't really consider myself the greatest musician that ever lived. Uh, but I can say that music is something that's really... I've, I've always felt that it's come naturally to me. I mean, there's things that don't come naturally to me, like anything athletic. It's just like a struggle, you know. It's, it's hard, and, and that's why you don't see me out playing sports or boxing or whatever but um that's just not the way that that god has has gifted me that's not really that's not really who i am although i i have to do that for my health a little but uh but picking up a guitar um and singing and things like that it just it seems to come naturally because it's it's kind of part of who i am and the interesting thing is my dad was also a musician and sometimes you see the, the guitar that I, I use up here was actually his guitar. And also, his father was a singer. And he used to go out and, and sing in, in nightclubs. He was actually a really good singer. I have some old recordings of him singing in church. And um, so we see, like, I see that there's this kind of musical ability that's one of my characteristics uh, that was also one of my grandfather's qualities, also one of my father's qualities. And we, we usually look at that and we say, well, my, my dad must have got it from my grandfather, and I got it from my dad. Sometimes even when I hear myself sing, I, 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 I'm like, oh, I sound like my dad. So as a son, as my father's son, I, I resemble and I reflect certain qualities that my father had. And this isn't unusual. We, we know this. This is true for pretty much everybody. And normally you can look at a family you can look at a, a father and a son, a mother, a daughter, or even cousins and say, hmm, I see the resemblance. Um, 
we 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 see that family acts and and looks in similar ways and talks kind of in similar ways naturally it's just the way that it naturally happens even sometimes when we don't want to you know we don't always want to be like our parents but sometimes we do um and this is simply because we come from them they gave us birth so the ones who who gave us birth we share in some of their qualities though we are not the same as them we reflect and resemble them and in a similar way when we're born of god and god becomes our father we receive qualities and characteristics that reflect his own nature and that reflect who he is and that's why john can say anyone who is born of god loves why because god is love if we've been born of him if he is our father then naturally we should look and act and resemble our father though we will never do that perfectly in this life though we will never be god people should be able to look at us as christians and look at our god and be able to say oh i see the resemblance and anyone who looks and acts like the devil and says, I love God, I belong to God, John says that they are a liar. So love should be the natural out, outflow of a Christian's life. It should flow naturally from our lives, and love should mark us as a people because we have been given a nature that reflects our loving God. So again, that's how John can say everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God because it is natural for the children of God to act like their father who is love. So I want you to think about this. Do you see that love manifested in your life? Do you really love others? Can you see the resemblance between yourself and God? I want you to think about these things. Let me get to the third point and, and close quickly. So because the fruit, I'm sorry, because love is the fruit or the natural result of being born again, when love is present in the believer's life, it actually gives evidence that they have been born again, which leads to the third point. Christians should love one another because love can give us assurance that we truly know God and that we really have been born again. And this is one of John's tests that I, I spoke of earlier. We can examine our lives and we can, and we can see if we are, are loving others like God does, again, though not perfectly, uh, but like God. And if we see that love, if we feel that love, and if we see the love of God being expressed in our actions toward others, we can then be reassured that, yes, I do belong to God because, look, I'm loving. I'm loving others like my Father loves. And this can give us assurance that we belong to God. Let me just make something, uh, clarify something very quickly. Uh, these things, I'm not saying that these things save you, right? If, if you, I'm not saying that, and John's not saying that, if you love God, if you love others like God loves people, then God will accept you. No, it's actually the opposite. Is if you see this love manifested in your life, and if you can look at your life and, and say uh, that you are displaying the love of God in some way, then it's actually a sign that you are, that God has already accepted you, that you are already born again. And again, this can give us assurance that we belong to God. But the opposite is also true. And John says this 
in verse 8. He says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this is John's warning to us. If we don't see love manifested in our lives, then be careful. We need to continue to examine ourselves. John gives some strong warnings in other parts of the book. In 1 John 2, 9, he says, The one who says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother or sister is in darkness until now. 1 John 3, 10 says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother and sister. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we are to love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And for what reason did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, but his brothers were righteous. If someone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So let's take these statements from John as loving warnings from not only the Apostle John, but from the Holy Spirit. So I just want to conclude with leaving you with some questions to meditate on. I want you to ask yourself, just, just between you and God, you don't have to do it right now, but maybe from now until uh, we meet again on Sunday, do I see the love of God flowing in my life? Am I manifesting God's love to others? And do I resemble my Father who is in heaven? And on Sunday, we're going to continue this passage and we're going to look at more reasons for brotherly love. But in closing, I just want to review these points again. John says, let us love one another because number one, our God is love. And because our God has put his love into our hearts. And because when we love like God loves, we can be sure that we truly belong to God and that we are his children. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for this, this wonderful book of 1 John and, and for the Apostle John who is even called at times the Apostle of Love. Sometimes I read these warning passages about, um, about loving others and, and it's... It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty hard. But I thank you that these can all be, be seen within the context of your love, God. I thank you that uh, you're not a God of hate, that you're not a God of who, is, who is evil, but that you're a God of love, and that because of that love, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins and rise again three days later so that all who put their faith and trust in him can be saved and can receive your love, God, and be secured in your love forever. I pray that these truths that were spoken tonight will sink deep into our hearts, God. Let us not be like the man who James talks about, who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like immediately. Let these things resonate in our hearts and our minds as we sleep tonight, God, and prepare us again, uh, prepare our hearts to come again to you on Sunday morning to worship you and to hear your word again, God. We thank you for this night. And we just thank you for your amazing love and how amazing you are, God. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Matt. Great job. Amen. Great job. Um,
Well, you all heard, Matt's going to finish this up on Sunday, and that's an important message that, that we all need to know. It's something that I usually end all my services with is, God bless you, and I truly love you all. So let's talk to you on Sunday. Tune in, everybody online, Sunday at 10 a.m. Freedom Church PB for palmbeach.org. And thank you, and God bless. To God be the glory. Amen.